0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at Chumpacasino.com Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. plus You are listening to a zombie radio production. You're all going to die down here. A year old actress from Germany, named Elkie Sommer, was fast becoming a Hollywood film star when she and her journalist husband, Joe Himes, bought a house in Beverly Hills, California. Only days after they moved in, they began to experience unsettling, indeed spooky, events. As Himes later noted in a National Magazine article, neither he nor his wife shared the Southern California proclivity the supernatural, he being a tough-minded, fact-oriented journalist, and her, a hard-working actress and a very practical woman. Nonetheless, what happened in their house over the next two years would finally convince the two level-headed professionals of the existence of ghosts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Specter Factor. Uh, I invite you all to join me tonight as we explore the haunted world. According to Joe Himes, the weird occurrences began on July 6th, 1964, when Elkie Sommer was visited by a German journalist by the name of Edith Dafeld As Sommer began to pour some coffee, the journalist asked her hostess if she was going to introduce her to the gentleman. What gentleman? Asked Sommer. As far as she knew, her husband wasn't home. The one who was standing in the hall and just went into the dining room, Daufeld replied. "Oh." That must be Joe, said Summer, and she went to look for him. But much to her surprise, there was no one else in the house. But the visiting journalist insisted that she had seen a man, a husky man, with dark slacks, a white shirt, and a black nose, who had a large bulbous nose. That definitely was not Joe Himes. That evening, the actress and her husband puzzled over the peculiar event, and finally dismissed it. In Joe's words, as one of those inexplicable things that we tend to shrug off and forget. But two weeks later, when Elkisama's mother, then staying with the Himeses, reported that she had awakened in her downstairs bedroom to find a man standing at the foot of her bed, staring at her. But before she could scream, the man simply disappeared. In the morning, Hans convinced her that in her sleepy state, she must have confused a prowler at the window for a man standing in the room. But when Himes examined the ground beneath the window, it was smooth and unmarked, although the rain had made it soft the night before. At about this time, Himes' accounts continue, while the family began to hear strange noises that would repeat almost every night. It was the sound of dining room chairs moving across the floor, as if diners had finished their meal and were pushing themselves back away from the table. And later that year, while summer was on location in Yugoslavia, Himes continued to hear the nightly noises from the dining room and also found windows open that he swore that he had bolted the night before. Now, he decided to bug his own house. He even went and purchased three miniature transmitters from an electronic detection specialty firm and set up three FM radios attached to tape recorders to receive and record the transmitter signal. Now, he hid one of the transmitters with a sensitive microphone at the entrance to the driveway to note the arrival of any intruders. He then secreted another near the front door to the house and placed the third one in the dining room. Finally, he carefully positioned the chairs in the dining room and marked the locations of their feet and the floor with chalk. That night, upstairs in his bedroom, He heard the by-now-familiar noises of chairs scraping on the dining room floor. Taking his 38 revolver from the night table, he quietly made his way down the stairs and along the hall to the open dining room door. Pointing the gun into the room with one hand, he flipped on the lights with the other. The dining room was still silent. No one was present. The feet of every chair stood undisturbed within their chalked outlines. Himes returned to his bedroom. Later, listening to the tapes, he found no unexpected sounds from either the transmitter by the house door or by the driveway. The tapes of the sounds picked up by the dining room transmitter told a different story, however. Himes relates that it contained the noises of the moving furniture, which suddenly stopped with the snap of the light switch and his own nervous cough as he peered into the room. And then, once he left, the sounds of the chairs resuming their movement. For more than a year thereafter, houseguests, some of them so terrified they departed immediately, reported glimpsing the heavyset man with the white shirt and black tie. Heimsen, an architect equipped with blueprints, carefully inspected the house, and a team of termite inspectors crawled under, over, and through every part of the structure to see whether there was some cranny or other space where an unwanted lodger, a residential stowaway, could live in secret, or an unknown entrance that an interloper could use. They were neither. Furthermore, geologists and building contractors assured him that the house and the ground it was built on were not moving. Himes wondered if the whole experience was merely a matter of overheated nerves reinforced by a few coincidences. But although he and his wife were reluctant to believe in a ghost, they did completely change the decor of the dining room when they were told that ghosts prefer familiar surroundings. The sounds continued and the couple's dogs began behaving strangely, barking as they stared into the empty dining room. Himes asked the Los Angeles branch of the American Society for psychical research for help. During the months that followed, he said a series of serious, and I believe with a few exceptions, honest, mediums were ushered through the house by ASPR investigators, along with some interested scientists from UCLA there were some striking similarities in the determinations of several of these sensitives who were told no details of the Heinz's experiences, not even who the owners of the house were. One found the ghost to be a heavyset man, a European who spent his past life giving of himself. Two others came up with evidently the same large man of about 58 years old who had died of heart disease. One medium added that he was a doctor who had died before completing a task with a man at the house, that is Himes. In fact, a few years earlier, Himes had been working on a book with a doctor of that age who had died of a heart attack, but some findings varied markedly. Another sensitive discerned a large, untidy man, was she termed a monster, full of hate and quite drunk. Yet another reported perceiving a young blonde girl who had died of a lung problem and whose home had subsequently burned down. Sommer did have a young friend who had died some time before and whose house had later burned down. By now, Sommer was terrified. Heims found out that two previous owners of the house had sold it after brief tenancies, in both cases because the place was feared to be haunted. Eventually, Heims arranged for one of the mediums sent by the ASPR, Mrs. Latte von Strahl, to come to lay the ghost, that is, to rid the house of it. The exorcism was brief and businesslike. Seating herself at the head of the dining room table, Von Strahl stated that the horrible, brutal monster was standing next to her. She asked Elkisama to join her in a short, silent prayer, then addressed the ghost directly. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave this house at once. Leave these good people here alone and stop disturbing your house. After a few more words followed by a moment of silence, the medium declared in triumph, he's leaving that night, Himes and his wife locked the doors and windows and went to bed. Joe was just dozing off when Elkie heard something. Listen, she said. There was the sound of chairs moving in the dining room. In his published account of those two years of harrowing nights and apparitions and sounds, Himes wrote, even I am reluctantly convinced that we have at least one ghost in this house. But we don't intend to move out. Summer felt the ghost was probably her father and therefore it was harmless. The went on to declare, I would not let a living man frighten me out of my own house and I certainly don't intend to let a dead man do it. After a year later, he had to back down from that defiant stance. According to Himes, he and his wife were awakened early in the morning on March 13, 1967 by a loud banging on their bedroom door. Himes later reported that he heard what he thought was laughter sounding from the downstairs as he picked up his pistol and opened the door. He found no one there, but saw that smoke was billowing up the stairs from the ground floor. Hurriedly, escaping out of a bedroom window and down a roof that sloped almost to the ground level, the couple discovered their dining room was engulfed by a ferociously hot blaze. The arson investigators later attributed to mysterious origins. Neither the fire nor the loud knocking that saved the couple's life could be explained. But enough was enough. Joe Himes reconsidered his pledge to stay and put the house up for sale. From Himes' description, it appears that he and Elke Sommer experienced the classic haunting, not in a traditional setting such as an ancient castle and the edge of a lonely British moor, but in a modern dwelling situated in a busy urban community. The couple gained an unwelcome personal familiarity with some of the dark elements that have been the stuff of ghost stories and nightmares for centuries and that psychical investigators have found their characteristic of houses or other sites that come to be labeled haunted. Sometimes called localized PSI effects, PSI really being a catch-all adjective applied to events that are apparently psychic or parapsychological in nature, these classic elements may include an apparition of a person or even an animal that reportedly keeps reappearing, usually in the same place, and that is visible to one or more people, although not to everyone. Descriptions of such phantoms range from wispy wraiths glimpsed only from the corner of the eye to convincingly solid looking figures such as the heavyset man that was reported in Elkie Somers house. Now the recurring quality of the apparition such as is it reported to have been seen again and again over a period of time. It's important in distinguishing a haunting from another kind of PSI event uh, involving what is known as a crisis apparition. Now a crisis apparition generally is said to appear only once and the image is that of a person known to the Percipient, usually it's a close friend or a relative. The Percipient often learns later that the Phantom appeared just as the individual it represented was undergoing a crisis, such as a mother seeing a vision of her soldier's son at the moment of his wounding, or at the time of his death. Some researchers who believe in ESP suggest a crisis apparition results from a powerful telepathic message transmitted to the Percipient by the person whose image appears. A haunting apparition, on the other hand, is associated with a particular place, rather than a particular percipient. It may be perceived by several different people, perhaps none of them will recognize it as any specific person. In the Heim Sommer case, the recurrent localized apparition, or ghost, to use a more common, if less precise term, seemed to be associated with the dining room. None of the people who said they saw the heavyset man recognized him, sometimes, however, a haunting phantom is reported to resemble a known deceased individual. According to Heim's account, the case was also characterized by another prime element of classic haunting, a noise that mimics the sound of a human activity. In this instance, the imitative noise, as researchers term it, was the sound of chairs scraping on the floor. Furniture being moved around is a commonly reported audible feature of hauntings. Footsteps that cross the floor or go up or down stairs is another. So is the crash of breaking dishes. The reaction of the couple's dogs barking into the dining room fits the classic montou. too. In the popular mind, a dog snarling or barking at an empty chair or into an unoccupied room or corner does long to signify the presence of ghosts. And modern investigators have found that displays of agitation or fear in animals are statistically part of the pattern of the phenomena known as hauntings. Himes also found windows open that he believed had been locked. Another characteristic occurrence In some cases, witnesses claim to observe doors or windows being opened, as if by unseen hands that turn the knobs or move the latch handles. And most haunting occurrences take place at night, as did the majority, but not all, of the events of the Beverly Hills house. Whatever was disturbing the domestic tranquility of Joe Hines and Elkie Sommer did omit some of the classic phenomena associated with hauntings. No one reported seeing any balls of light or other strange luminosities. Uh, There was no unexplained tugging at the bedclothes. Cold areas in the house are also frequently reported, as is a sulfurous odor or other distinct smell. The Himes' is experienced neither. They did suffer a dangerous fire, however. If there truly was a paranormal pattern at work in the house, and if the unexplained blaze in the dining room was yet another element in it, then at the least part of what the couple experienced would probably be considered a poltergeist phenomenon rather than a traditional haunting. Poltergeist manifestations involve more noise and movement of physical objects, sometimes violent movement than other hauntings. Uh, Most hauntings are disturbing for those experiencing them but present no actual danger. If the fire was of paranormal origin, uh, the Hymnses were being subjected to a rare and extremely frightening kind of haunting, uh, one that threatens or deals real physical harm to the recipients. Finally, the response to the experience also is in keeping with the classic haunting pattern. They sought help in trying to quote-unquote lay the ghost, to rid the house of the disturbances that were plaguing their lives. People have been practicing exorcism and other techniques for banishing for what they take to be troublesome spirits for as long as hauntings have been known. Apparently, uh, they've been known for a very long time, probably from the earliest era in which human beings were capable of conceiving of ghosts. Certainly, haunting was a well-established phenomenon by the fourth century BC, when the Greek philosopher Plato wrote of the soul which survives the body. Sometimes, he said, The soul is wrapped in an earthly covering, which makes it heavy and visible, and drags it down to the visible region, and thus, these wandering souls haunt, as we call it, the tombs and monuments of the dead, where such phantoms are sometimes seen. Now, one of the earliest recorded hauntings was believed caused by the ghost of a traitorous 5th century BC Spartan commander named Pausanias, who took sanctuary in a temple of Athena and was starved to death there. The ghost terrified worshippers of the temple with unearthly noises until it was exorcised by a necromancer. Now the nature of hauntings hasn't really changed much over the centuries. As it's been said, there are plenty of houses haunted by these spirits and goblins which ceaselessly disturb the sleep of those who dwell in them. They will stir and overturn the utensils, vessels, tables, boards, dishes, bowls, throw stones, enter chambers, etc the curtains and covers and perpetuate a thousand tricks, but the spirits do no real harm, for the household vessels, all of which they seem to have smashed and broken are found the next morning to be intact. Interestingly, the percentage of people who experience haunting phenomena uh, have also remained fairly constant, at least if surveys bracketing the last hundred years or so are a valid indication. Britain Society for Psychical Research pulled a large sampling of people soon after its founding in 1882, and found that some ten percent of them say that they had an inexplicable experience, seeing or hearing or being touched by what seemed to be a living being or an inanimate object, when no such being or object was present in reality. Similar surveys taken in the 1970s in the United States, Britain, and Iceland produced positive responses from 9 to 17 percent of those questioned. And most of those who reported seeing, hearing, or otherwise experiencing an apparition said that they did so in their own homes, rather than in some eerie, cobweb location of the kind popularly thought likely to be haunted. The Tea Party question Do you believe in ghosts? is one of the most ambiguous which can be asked. But if we Take it to mean, do you believe that people sometimes experience apparitions? The answer is that they certainly do. No one who examines the evidence can come to any other conclusion. Instead of disputing the facts, we must try to explain them. I want to thank everybody for joining me this week. On Spectre Factor This podcast Has been a presentation Of the Zombie Radio Network Copyright 2015 I invite you all To visit us at Zombieradio.net And check out some of the other shows Over there Such as Evolution of the Apocalypse The XD Experience Zombie Dance Party The John and Ivan Show in the main Green Comic Machine. You can find us on Facebook. At facebook.com forward slash Spectre Vector. You can find us on Twitter. At Spectre Vector. And until next week. Happy hauntings.